All right, hello. Good morning. Um, today's passage can be found in Ruth 2. I'll be reading from the yeah, ESV version. Please follow along on the screen or in your Bibles if you can. All right. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Amalek, whose name was Boaz. The Ruth and Ruth of Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter, so she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Emelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she had continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young, women, or young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repaid you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grape. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, so do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an effort of barley. And she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young, with his young women, 
lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of God. Thank you, Victoria. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Welcome to our worship service again. Uh, I'm Paul. I'm one of the pastors of the church. We're glad that you can join us as we worship our Lord. I know our crowd's a little small today. It's a long weekend. Some of us are away, including Pastor Jeff. He's away this weekend. So continue to keep those people in prayer as they travel back here to their homes. So we're in a series through Ruth. Um, it's going to be a short series. We're only uh, doing four sermons. Um, we've already done one last week, and we are doing a chapter a week. So we are in chapter two today. And so to recap what's been going on, if uh, you weren't here last week or if you didn't hear the message, the story of Ruth actually begins with Naomi and Elimelech, and their two sons, Malon and Kilion. And Things have gone horribly wrong for this family. Uh, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion, the, the men of the family, have all died in a foreign land called Moab. And, they have, and they, the, uh, the sons were married to Moabite women, foreign women, Orpah and Ruth, which was problematic because foreign women obviously worshipped foreign gods. And so um, when two people who worship a different god marry, we know that that can cause some problems. And so Naomi's husband and her two sons, however, have just died, and they have been buried in Moab. And Orpah, uh, one of the daughters-in-law, has left and gone back to her Moabite family, back to her, uh, to her family and to her foreign gods, her false gods. But on the other hand, the other daughter-in-law, Ruth, stays with Naomi, and initially, Naomi tries to get rid of her, right? But Ruth is dedicated to Naomi, dedicated to the true God of Israel. So Ruth responds with faith and loyalty to God. But Naomi, uh, on the other hand, is actually filled with bitterness. This Israelite woman had so much bitterness because of her circumstances, and understandably so. And now Naomi and Ruth are hungry without money. They're very vulnerable back here in Judah, uh, more specifically in Bethlehem. But we see God's loving kindness show up in our passage. And hope is on the horizon for Naomi and Ruth. And we see this loving kindness of God. And that is our theme today, God's loving kindness. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us see his loving kindness here. Heavenly Father, we humbly ask that, Lord, you reveal your truth to us. Lord, not because we want to um, know you for the sake of knowing you, not because we want to be puffed up in our knowledge, but Lord, because we want to experience the true and living God. And so God, we pray that you would reveal who you are to us and show your grace and love and this loving kindness that you show uh, here in this passage. Help us, O oh Lord, by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when, when I got married or when anyone gets married, you need to make a vow. You, you vow to take a person uh, as your spouse 
And the traditional vows go for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health, till death do you part. Um, And it is a covenant that is being formed. That is what a vow is about. A covenant is like a contract or an agreement between two parties for the purpose of securing a mutual relationship of blessing and fulfilling an obligation to be to enjoy one another uh, and, and to enjoy this relationship in one another's lives. So when anyone gets married, you have to make a vow to enter into this covenant relationship with your spouse. And as Christians, we vow in the name of God when we vow. And just kind of a short tangent, I would argue that you cannot really vow in the name of anything else but God. Because when we vow or take an oath, you declare that God is your witness, that God is the one who will judge you if you do not fulfill your end of the deal, if you break this oath, if you lie about this vow that you're making. When you make a vow or an oath, you, uh, pretty much any time besides the context of the civil courts or the civil sphere, there are no real tangible consequences, right? But if you lie before a, a legal court or a civil court, you can obviously be punished for that, right? You can be um, punished for lying in front of a legal court by going to prison or some other means, right? But when you vow or um, take an oath in most other contexts, you make a vow in the name of God because God is your witness and God is your judge. There are no real other consequences besides knowing that you have vowed before God and that he will judge you if you break this vow. There are consequences for our broken vows and that when we lie before the presence of God, after promising not to lie, obviously, God will judge us, judge us and punish us. And of course, this happened with Adam and Eve. They made a covenant with God and vowed not to eat of the forbidden fruit, but they broke that vow and the relationship was broken and that affected all of our relationships with God as sin entered into the world as a result. Now, of course, through Jesus, we have been saved. We have grace and we can be forgiven. But if we do not seek forgiveness from God, if we do not seek repentance, God says we will be judged. And that is what we believe about taking vows. So God takes vows very seriously. But the reality is that many people do not take vows and oaths seriously. They do not take this covenant seriously, including our marriage covenant and vows. We see that in the many people who get divorced and how I think the statistic is one-fourth of all Christian and non-Christian adults end up being divorced. These are all adults, and there's no difference. There's no tangible statistical difference between Christians and non-Christians. There's no difference, unfortunately. And we live in a world where commitment, covenant, promises, and vows are not really important. We see, in that, we see that in our society and how flaky people are nowadays, right? right? Flaky is an informal term for being unreliable, non-committal. It's basically a lot of our society today, especially um, the younger generation. But in contrast, God takes vows seriously, and he takes the vow he made seriously, the promise he made, even when perhaps we did not take the vow seriously. God's loving kindness is not simply a feeling or an attitude. That's what we think of when we think of love. Um, it's not just that 
but it is a covenant that he has made. It is a commitment. The word used in the book of Ruth, uh, I mentioned it last week, uh, is hesed. Hesed, and it indeed means love and kindness. That is what the word literally means, but it carries a deeper meaning. And there's no good English equivalent. There's no good translation. There's a sense of loyalty in the word, a sense of faithfulness, a sense of goodness. It also has this weight of commitment and covenant. And so basically it means that God takes love seriously. It's hesed love. It's a serious love. It's a loyal love that is not easily broken. God has promised to love us, and he will fulfill that promise. And we see this happening in our passage for today. You know, Ruth, on her own volition, goes to the field to glean among the years of grain. And gleaning is basically picking up uh, the leftovers of the grain that's remaining in the field on the threshing floor. And the scraps of grain left over after the workers have collected the barley for the day. And so she's taking advantage of actually a provision that was instituted by God in Deuteronomy 24, where he commands Israel to take mercy upon the poor and needy and make a provision for them to leave the scraps for people to pick up. And the reason for this command is that it is a reminder that God is the one who showed mercy upon uh, the Israelites by delivering them out of slavery in Egypt. They were once poor. They were once needy. And so he commands for Israel to show mercy to those in need also. And so Ruth takes advantage of this law instituted by God. However, not so fast. Ruth is a Moabite. And actually in Deuteronomy 23, we see that Moabites are to be excluded from Israel. They're not part of the people of God. She is a foreigner. She's an outsider. And yes, you know, by law, she has the right to glean in the fields, meaning she does have that legal right, but would they accept her? Would the Israelites accept her? Well, again, we see God's loving kindness here. And so the first way in which we see it is we see God's loving kindness in his timing, in his timing. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect, and we see that it, it is in fact that Ruth happened to come upon Boaz's field. Now, the English translation doesn't do, really do it justice, but let me read it for us again. Verse 3 says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reaper, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. All right, if we could get the, uh, the screen working. But so what we see here is that the, the Hebrew does a better job of showing what actually happened. The Hebrew shows that she happened to fortuitously end up in the field of Boaz, who happens to be a relative of Elimelech. And so why is that important? Naomi actually mentions that towards the end, why it's important. Because in chapter 1, we see that a family member has to be the one to redeem Naomi and Ruth. Only a family member can do so. And Naomi made a whole, remember, Naomi made a whole fuss about, oh, I can't bear any more children. And, and you know, are you going to wait for me to bear another child miraculously? And you're going to wait, you know, 30 years for that child to get older and then marry him? Like, it makes no sense. You should leave me, right? That's the whole fuss that she was making. But we, what we see here is, what are the chances? Boaz is that someone. Boaz is that someone who could possibly redeem this family, save this family, and consider all the circumstances here. Ruth and Naomi come at the right exact time for 
the barley harvest as well. And they find, they happen to find the, 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 bar, the, the field that belongs to Boaz. And, and while Ruth is busy gleaning, Boaz himself, the owner, he happens to show up. He, as a boss, happens to show up and allows for Ruth to glean, this foreigner, this Moabite, to glean from the field. And we begin to see Naomi's bitterness uh, from chapter 1 towards God is unfounded. And we are seeing God's loving kindness in his impeccable, perfect timing. Now, let us consider our lives. Let's think about all the confluence of events that have happened in our lives where God has been at work. That God has led us to where we are right this moment. We are here because it is God's providence. You know, when I was a kid, maybe like around 10 years old, I remember looking in the mirror one day and asking God, I just had a profound thought. I was like, God, why did you make me Korean? And I know that for many of us, we actually may have asked ourselves, why did God make us, you know, whatever we are? Especially for us who are Asian Americans, we may feel this way because we are Asians who, are, who are, happen to be born as minorities in a foreign land. You know, I felt out of place as a Korean who was American, who lived in America, of all the places that I could have ended up. What are the chances? These seemingly random events are not merely coincidence, but they are God's sovereign plan coming to pass according to the counsel of his will. And I heard it said like this one from another pastor, the great adventure of the Christian life is that there are no insignificant details. There are no insignificant details. And as Proverbs 16.9 says, a man's mind plans his way, but the, word, but the Lord direct, directs his steps. God is at work in everything. He is directing it all. And I hope that actually gives us comfort, real comfort, because God's loving kindness is one of commitment, and he keeps his promise. That is who God is. He is immutable. He, that means he doesn't change. God has ordained all things, and he's in control of all things. So God is working his purposes for his glory in our lives. So we take comfort in knowing that he has made this promise to us, and he has already fulfilled this promise to us. In his perfect timing, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be uh, the savior of the world, to redeem us from our sins. God in Jesus has fulfilled his promise and has given us this hope and this contentment in knowing that Jesus, in his perfect timing, will also return because he is in heaven with the Father right now. And that's the great thing about the Christian life. You're able to have such hope and such joy and contentment because we have received the promise and we know that, that there is a promise still yet to come for us as well. We know what Jesus has done for us in his death and resurrection and what he will do when he returns. And for some reason, Ruth appears to feel the same way. She trusts in the Lord. She knows that when she trusts in the Lord, that God will provide for her in his timing, in his perfect timing. The rest of this chapter in Ruth, we see God's loving kindness being displayed in his provision to Ruth. First, we see the character of Boaz. He's hardworking, showing up to work to oversee the field, right? He's not just a lazy boss. He actually shows up to work as the boss. And you can tell he's very kind from the beginning in how he greets his workers. He says, the Lord be with you. 
right? It is a, 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 a welcoming greeting to those around him. Then he sees Ruth and he hears that she's the one who's been the talk of the town. You know, these, these women who have come from Moab. And then he hears that she's gleaning, she's been gleaning these leftovers since the early morning. Shows Ruth's dedication here. And Boaz then shows his loving kindness to her. His hesed to her and tells her that she does not have to go anywhere else to glean. He even protects her by telling her to stay closer to his people because she has the potential of being assaulted somewhere else, to be close to his men and women. Boaz has ordered no one to bother her or hurt her in the field as she gleans. He has told her to take as much water as she needed. And he even feeds her. He gives her food to eat. And she eats as much as she wants. And then she even has enough to take home extra food to Naomi. And then she lets her continue to glean and even pulled out more bundles of barley for her to pick up. And it it led to an ephah of barley, which is approximately five and a half gallons of barley, which could probably feed two women for a couple weeks. We see Boaz's provision in so many ways here to Ruth and Naomi. And you can tell Boaz is impressed with her and has chosen to help her. And perhaps Boaz is attracted to her romantically, which is a little spoiler ahead. But, but why did Boaz provide these things to her? Right? Ultimately, we see it in verses 10 to 13. We see this exchange between Ruth and Boaz, where Ruth is so thankful for all that Boaz is providing. And she's asking, why would you help me, a foreigner, why would you help a foreigner? Remember, she's an outsider, someone who's not really considered a part of the people of God. And what is Boaz really impressed by? Well, we see Boaz is actually impressed by her devotion and loyalty to Naomi, but also, more importantly, for her devotion and loyalty to God, to the true God. In verse 12, Boaz says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth has found refuge in the Lord. She has shown that she trusts in the Lord as her God, and she has given her life to this God. And Boaz sees this faith and shows loving kindness, shows hesed, But this is not just Boaz showing hesed. This is God who is showing hesed to Ruth, his loving kindness. Even for us today, God shows hesed to us in his provision. God's loving kindness is displayed in his provision to us as well. Remember in chapter 1, God is the one who brought food to Judah. God brought food to Judah after the famine. And we see Boaz is generous, and it is God working through Boaz in his generosity. God is generous. God does indeed give us everything we need. He has provided everything. Every good and perfect gift comes from him alone. That's what James tells us. So may we thank God for his provision. And and Ruth reminds us that we should be so thankful for the daily food that we have, for our shelter, for our families. May we not forget to give thanks to God even for those things for our daily bread, our daily needs. And Ruth had, Ruth had faith in the Lord, and it may not seem like it, but she had faith that the Lord would also provide. 
Why would you follow a God that you don't think is going to provide for you, who's not working for your good? Why would you follow such a God? She's not a masochist. She trusts that the Lord will provide in some way for them. But she wasn't sure how that would be, obviously. But as, but as Christians, for us, we know that God has provided us all that we need. When we trust in the Lord Jesus and believe in what he has done in his re- revealed word in his scriptures, we see God's loving kindness and his provision in Jesus Christ. We see that God's loving kindness is ultimately displayed in what Jesus Christ has done. And when we trust in Jesus, we receive his blessings. We, we, we receive his grace. We receive his provision. We are adopted as children of God. We, we know that all these things to be true because God has accomplished them already in Jesus Christ. He has provided us the most important gift, the gift of redemption from sin, salvation from sin, eternal life, freedom from sin, this gift of living according and, and being able to live according to God's good design. This is all a gift of God. And God's provision you know, is more than just the earthly provisions that we see. Of course, again, you know, every earthly gift that we have received is good and perfect from God. But that does not mean that you'll never be poor in an earthly sense. It does not mean you'll never be hungry. It doesn't mean that it doesn't even guarantee that you'll never be homeless. No, these unfortunate circumstances may come upon all of us. Suffering and calamity may come in this life, and it will definitely come in some form or another, like I mentioned last week. But God has provided us Jesus Christ in his loving kindness, who is our greatest treasure. treasure. Jesus is our greatest treasure. He is our greatest reward. The earthly provisions, of course, are good, but they can be twisted. They can be misused. They can oftentimes become idols, and they oftentimes are idols that prevent us from treasuring Christ. We treasure the worldly things instead of treasuring Christ. So actually Paul calls these earthly things in Philippians 3.8, he uses the word rubbish. Basically it's trash. It is trash compared to what we receive in Jesus. Jesus is our reward. The only provision we need is Jesus. And in Christ we receive all that we need. We get to go to our true home. We get to live according to God's design for us, how he created us. John Chrysostom was an important early church father who lived in the 300s, and um, he wrote this about where our true home is. He says this, We are only temporary guests on earth. We recognize that the houses in which we live serve only as hostels on the road to eternal life. We do not seek peace or security from the material walls around us or the roof above our heads. Rather, we want to surround ourselves with a wall of divine grace. And we look upward to heaven as our roof. And the furniture of our lives should be good works performed in a spirit of love. We look toward heaven as our true home. And because we look to heaven as our true home, accomplished in Jesus, We now live to do good works in his spirit, with the spirit of love in us, instilled in us by the Holy Spirit. May we see God's loving kindness in his perfect timing, 
in every part of our lives and in his provision of all things for us, ultimately given to us by the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so my hope and my prayer is that we can all experience and see this abundant grace that God has for us, that Jesus has given us. And so uh, if you have turned away from God, if you have turned away from the truth of who Jesus is, I pray that you would come back to him. If you have never believed in him, I pray that the Holy Spirit will lead you to believe here today, to trust in him. And when you trust in him, you will receive the greatest treasure. And for those of us who do trust in Jesus already, now go and live for him. Do not live for these worldly things that are so tempting. Because as Paul says, these worldly things compared to the Lord and his treasure, it's rubbish. Let us come to the Lord and experience his grace and find our treasure in Christ alone. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your loving kindness to us. We thank you that um, through this story of Ruth, Lord, we see your commitment. We see your loyalty. Lord, we see how you have promised to be faithful to your people, that when we trust in you, that you will give us all that we need. And we see how you have given Ruth and Naomi everything they have needed. God, may we see that we have received so much more in Jesus Christ. May we see the great treasure that we have in Jesus. Lord God, we know that the things of the world prevent us in many ways from seeing who you are. So God, I pray that we would find a heart of repentance, that you would lead us to repentance. Lead us to see the ways in which those things are rubbish. Those things are nothing basically filthy compared to the treasure that we have in Jesus. Lord, may we find our hope, our security, our comfort, our joy, our love in you. May we see that, Lord. We know that we have received it, but we just struggle to believe in it. So help us, Lord. Help us in our unbelief and help us to trust in you and receive your loving kindness, your hesed love. Help us, O oh God, here today. Reveal yourself, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.